Germany, a country known for its beer, sausage, and increased transfer pricing scrutiny, and the tax authorities' recent compliance initiatives are picking up more speed than the Autobahn. On today's episode of The Fiona Show Transfer Pricing, we're examining the transforming audit environment in Germany and how MEs can insulate themselves from further examination. Joining us today is Cross-Border Solutions' own tax director, Oscar Hugenberg, an independent transfer pricing specialist and advisor, Oliver Tridler. But first, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. First, it was financial services and extractive businesses who wanted to be exempt from Pillar 2 of the OECD's new global tax plan. Now, telecom businesses are calling for an exclusion, too. The OECD's international tax reform, which after years of debate is inching closer to the finish line, contains two parts. Pillar 1, a proposal that reallocates profits for a handful of extremely profitable businesses, 78 at last count, and Pillar 2, a global minimum tax. But certain industries like banking and mining get a pass, and now cell phone operators are lobbying for one too. In August, the global system for Mobile Communications and European Telecommunications Network Operators Association, try saying that five times fast, published a paper claiming that the new plan could put an extreme tax burden on the industry and an exclusion is warranted due to, quote, pre-existing sector-specific taxes. I know these folks are really into phrases that don't roll off the tongue. The group also pointed out that due to physical infrastructure and the fact they don't cater to foreign companies, Customers, they are already taxed where they have customers, which is sort of the point of the OECD's global tax reform in the first place. Will the OECD answer their call? To be continued. If you're not sure which supporting documents are acceptable in proving arm's length pricing in the Ukraine, it's certainly not the local tax administration's fault. In a recent guidance letter, the Ukrainian tax authorities reconfirmed the variety of sources that can be used to determine compliance with the arm's length principle. Which sources qualify? Internal cups, of course. Ditto for public information regarding comparable transactions or companies. Granted, it can be hard to find, but it does indeed qualify. Generally, any information that supports your case, invoices, contracts, work papers, etc., that was obtained legally and shared with tax authorities will also be accepted. Documents can be obtained by the taxpayer in compliance with Ukrainian laws or received by the tax authorities under international tax treaties. Obviously, the tax authorities must follow the same rules and use the same sources as the taxpayers unless, that is, a taxpayer is under audit. Then all bets are off. Tax authorities can use information that may or may not be available to everyone else. Another good reason to avoid an audit. COVID-19 has certainly complicated transfer pricing, and many tax authorities have responded by offering special guidance to lessen the confusion. Some of the most recent guidance comes from Hong Kong's Inland Revenue Department. The Inland Revenue Department provided that they'll generally follow the OECD's COVID-19 transfer pricing guidance and reminds taxpayers that, pandemic or not, the arm's length principle is still king. The authorities specifically comment on four points. One, the importance of economically significant risks. Two, taxpayers may need to consider including loss-making companies in their benchmark analysis. 
Three, the use of a separate testing period for the pandemic may be necessary. Four, taxpayers need to consider government assistance in their comparability analyses. The Inland Revenue Department also confirmed existing advanced pricing agreements still hold, but provides that taxpayers should notify them if there are any changes to the critical assumptions of the agreements. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. Welcome back, everyone. We're here right now with Cross-Border Solutions Tax Director, Hosker Hugenberg, and Independent Transfer Pricing Specialist and Advisor, Oliver Tridler, to discuss the evolving audit environment in Germany and how M&Es can best insulate themselves from further examination. On that note, I'm going to hand things off to Hosker to lead this conversation. Hosker, you have the floor. All right. Thank you, Matt. Uh, yeah. Hi, Oliver. It's great to have you on our podcast again. And I think the last time you, you appeared on, uh, on the show was in, in June 2020, of course, when COVID just was roaring its, its ugly head for the first time. And so how, how have you adjusted to the, the new normal since then? Well, it's, uh, I mean, certainly work in progress. So you get the hang of the homeschooling and <laughs> you, you kind of settle into a new routine. But it's, yeah, it's been step by step. But I guess at least Germany, the development has been more or less positive in the, in the last couple of months. So, yeah. We're staying yeah. optimistic there. That's that's always the good thing, isn't it? Staying uh, positive and optimistic. And and you know, talking about you know evolution and uh, you know adapting to new circumstances. You know, how have you seen transfer pricing evolve? Uh, transfer pricing in in Germany, I would say, in in particular, evolve since let's say the start of your career. Uh, Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Then probably we're we're starting about like like 2008. Certainly, it's been an intriguing uh, evolution since then. I mean, I, I remember we were dealing essentially on the basis of the 1995 OECD guidelines back then. The let's say German transfer pricing regulations, the the administrative principles as well as documentation requirements were. Well, I guess you can say fresh off the press. So they were, I think, published in 2005. And I mean, since then, I mean, everybody in, in the TP community is pretty much aware that when, when BEPS came around and I think uh, first discussions like in uh, 2011, 2013, when the, when the project kicked off, it's been constant changes, I, I, I guess, ever since. I, I think those changes, like if, if, if you want to summarize them or give, give you a view about the, the, the quality of the, of the changes, I think they are positive on a net basis insofar as they are more, the arm's length principle uh, has become more facts-based and in, in, in being applied in day-to-day -day transfer pricing. So I, I think that's a positive focusing more on the economic substance and um, probably that's me as an economist talking. So it's uh, 
a little more intriguing as an economist to deal in the sort of environment than in a more legalistic one where you have to focus much more on contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think the way I, I often, you know, explain it to people as well is to say, well, you know, transfer pricing probably has changed or has developed you know, over the last five to eight years more than in, in the 50 years before that. We're talking about the 1995 TP guidelines for almost two decades, that that was the guiding principle. And then now you see things develop a lot quicker, a lot faster. Yeah, the pace has picked up. I guess uh, one of the issues we will talk about is the degree of controversy. That's also uh, an issue I think that is reflected in the regulation becoming, uh, let's say, uh, more comprehensive and, and, and being published in a quicker pace. So yeah, it's certainly not a, not a boring time that we uh, have the pleasure of, of dealing with transfer pricing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and before we you know, dig into the update on, on, on the German transfer pricing and how the authorities deal with it, what do you find the most fascinating about transfer pricing? Oh, well, for me, it's certainly the fact that we deal with so many different businesses and business models on a, on a regular basis. So it really keeps you on, on your toes, if you will, just to have to apply the Darmstadt's principle from, let's say, a transaction <clears throat> involving the sale of uh, peat soil on one day and, and the next day uh, you're dealing with complex CCAs regarding some, some R&D arrangements in, in, in the pharmaceuticals or, or software sector. So I really enjoy this, immersing myself in this uh, sort of analysis, talking to the people there and, and understanding what makes their business tick. That kind of kept me since you asked about the beginning of my career in, in, in 2008. I never regretted it for that reason that, yeah, rewarding, I guess, to, yeah. to, to have that sort of variety. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's also, I know that's the thing I always find also very interesting is that, um, you know, transfer pricing also, you know, you actually can see development in, in economies as well, where for, you know, a long time it was all about, you know, physical presence and transfer of goods and services. And now, we, you know, we're talking so much about, you know, all the things with, with online services, digital uh, services, no longer having a fiscal presence or physical presence in a country and what are the transfer price and consequences related to that. Uh, so I think that's, that's it's indeed a very fascinating uh, topic. Given, you know, it's, it's on, the, on the radar of the G20 and the G7, that it is uh, one of the, the more hot topics uh, that, uh, you know, governments uh, talk about. Oh, yeah, days. for sure. I mean, the pillar one discussion is very interesting. I mean, it's, it's a bit heavy on the, on the politics side in, in my taste. Yeah. We're talking a lot of politics and not, not like straightforward analysis. That also goes for the economic impact assessment, which is, uh, I guess, intriguing stuff for, for us as practitioners. But in, when you look at what is the final outcome, then uh, of course, in the end of the day, it's a political arrangement. And, and I mean, we have to deal with it and it will impact us quite a bit for the very reason you said because we will face discussions in the years to come what what value is to be attributable to to those let's say marketing intangibles without a yeah let's say physical nexus so that that yeah. will shape the coming years yeah for sure. indeed so germany has been very active in its you know pursuit of multinationals uh, transfer pricing uh, compliance and reviewing documentation country introduced uh, draft law and the implementation of the EU Anti-Tax Avoidance Directive in, in December 2019. Can you tell us a bit more about it and, and its, you know, its overall mission and 
what is the status of of its implementation right now and and the impact of it in germany uh, you know, currently well sh sure i mean for for us as tp practitioners it's sometimes a bit hard to sort of keep track on the legislative processes so that especially goes for germany where those processes are kind of complex but in a nutshell i i would say the key takeaway for us is that germany did eventually update its foreign tax code where the application of the arms length principle is codified and uh, it kind of fulfilled the let's say obligation to to ensure a oecd compliant law a law framework maybe it is a bit surprising for for those following the processes and looking at this anti-tax avoidance directive that it the implementation or the change of the ftc did not happen in the shape and form of the atat but but actually the tp aspects were sort of carved out of the november 20 draft law and instead they were included in a, in a different law that was published in january 21 and it has a really awkward name. Uh, it's in Germany, it's Abzugssteuerentlastungsmodernisierungsgesetz. I'm shying away from even translating this. <laughs> so, but, but this new law was was introduced in, in, in draft form in January 21. It was very much looking like the one you, you mentioned, like the December 19 draft, minus, uh, and this is maybe important and we can go into this a bit later, it was missing the intended stipulations on financial transactions that were quite controversial, I'd say, in Germany, but they were uh, excluded from this draft. But other than that, most of the anticipated changes were included in this new law, and that was ratified in the end of May 21. It is in force, I think, as of June and will be applicable yeah, starting 22 uh, going forward. I mean, what does it mean? We have a new legislative basis. I mean, that's okay, that's good, but, but I mean, what, what are the key takeaways from the, from the transfer pricing side? I mean, I guess first and foremost, I'd say it's a Dempe concept, which is now uh, included in, in the law. That obviously will have a great practical relevance, as well as the control of risk concept. It's included in the law. But other than that, I mean, we are also looking at new provisions for business restructuring, some changes in terms of hierarchy of transfer pricing methods, including the range concept uh, has been modified. So I think those will be changes that have practical relevance. It's for sure, I mean, the changes are, you, you might call them nuances, but they, they may be having quite a big impact once it, it comes to a tax audit. And, and I'm sure we can dive into that in a bit. Yeah. Have you, have you already seen, you know, just in, in practice that, you know, the tax authorities, when performing a tax audit, you know, asking questions to, to you know, companies that they're already really diving into these topics that are included in that new law? Especially on, let's say, you know, taxation of intangible assets on the DEMPI. So for those, you know, the DEMPI, you know, functions are development, enhancement, management, protection and exploitation. And they want to see that to be at least performed or at least controlled by the owner of the intangible asset in order to. Yes. That the owner is entitled to the income. Yeah, we're yeah. seeing this for sure. Uh, it's like I said, we have a new law on, on the basis on which we operate, but I don't see it as, as like, let's changing. Uh, it's not changing the fundamentals of how German auditors will approach uh, cases from a methodology point of view. They, they would also in the past kind of challenge you to, to kind of provide information on the economic substance. But I, I think the, the crucial thing in Germany to understand is the one thing is the, the law stipulating all those facts, which in my view are 
more or less aligned with OECD guidelines. So there are not any big surprises looming there in my view, but um, the tricky part is that we also have administrative principles that were renewed and, and, and they kind of uh, give the flavor, if you will, of how stuff like this uh, then will be playing out at, in audit time. And, yeah. and this is where it really becomes relevant, I think. And talking about these, these, you know, these administrative principles, and as you said, I mean, right. they've been updated, I think, effective in December 2020, and replacing the old administrative principles that, that were dating back to 2005. Can you just talk us through what are the major updates on that and you know, what, what impact they might have on, on companies that are being faced with a tax audit in Germany? Yes, for, for sure. Maybe I should start by just... I don't want to be nitpicking or anything. It's it's not not an all-out replacement that we're seeing. So it's it's kind of that. The, well, it's an update. It's an update, and but but the 2005 rules remain some of the rules, and they are specified in the, the paragraph explicitly stated in the update, which remain in force. And and then the update introduces some yeah rewrites or replaces other parts of these administrative principles, which. I mean, even structurally, it's a bit annoying, to be honest. Now you will have to look into two separate documents, which, I mean, you can do it, but it's certainly not very convenient from an administrative point of view for taxpayers and also for consultants. It's not, not an ideal situation. But yeah, the the substance of the changes, again, we can maybe discuss some paragraphs in more detail than others, is that the information requirements have been extended, like the scope of, let's say, supplementary information you are expected to provide to auditors have increased. You might argue that this is not, let's say, dramatically reflected in the wording of the principles or administrative principles, but the message is quite clear when you take it into context. And what I mean by this is that when we started our conversation, then one of the first things we said is, is like, okay, we're looking much more at economic substance. So while this is certainly true, and it is reflected in the law and administrative principles, the, the, the core issue to understand is that the German authorities don't seem to be very comfortable with this, let's say, direction that transfer pricing is going. And, and the reaction we are seeing, and, and that is reflected in this administrative principle, is that they want two things. They want more information, more comprehensive information, and they want to shift the burden of proof to the taxpayers. So in establishing what the economic substance really is, what is the business reality, the administrative principles, the update, if you will, sort of extends the powers of the tax uh, administration. It's certainly affecting the playing field as we know it thus far, and it's not advantageous from the perspective of the taxpayer or the consultant. So to give you an example or to just kind of illustrate what I have in mind, the, the updated administrative principles, for example, compel the taxpayer to provide information to the auditor that can be used or data that can be used to to apply a different method from the method the taxpayer has originally chosen. So while in the past, obviously, you have to comply and provide data, now the auditor is in an explicit right or his position is that he can request independent of the transfer pricing method actually used by, by the taxpayers uh, he can request you to to provide him with data to perform his own analysis. And it's kind of hard to determine where to draw the line on this. I mean, what is deemed relevant in this context is kind of up for grabs. And I mean, there's really not 
let's say, any specific law on this where you can say, okay, there's a limit to what I'm, I can be reasonably asked to provide. They explicitly also state that relevant information in this context could be information from emails, uh, messenger services, any electronic communications or like memos from consultants and so on and so forth. So this is a, the extension of the scope that is worrisome, yeah. right? So because if some, something like this is deemed relevant, I mean, we, we are seeing the first kind of, let's say, request from this in, in, in the audits that we are dealing with right now, that an auditor really makes the request to, to, to show relevant correspondence without really specifying what is relevant, just saying, I... I want to have access to the correspondence and, and maybe the, the reason that he states for, for making this request is, well, I'm, I'm not believing your functional and risk analysis. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, or, or just saying, you know, I consider it to be relevant for me to, to review that, you know, as part of my audit. It's a very general argument of, well, we determine what is relevant for us to review and you just need to provide it as a taxpayer. Yes. Very generic Argument. Very generic yeah. arguments, and, and and what I really do not like as as a practitioner about this, I mean, the way that was previously, at least in Germany, very clear is that you, of course, you have the obligation to present a usable transfer pricing documentation, so your local file, master file, and so on. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's fair enough, and that that should be, and and it was in fact stated in the earlier administrative principles that this is the basis for the tax audit. So, so, I mean, you go through all the effort and, and compile a, let's say, best practices uh, documentation. And then, I mean, that should be the focal point of the discussion with the auditor. At least in my view, that makes a lot of sense because you, you really yeah, ma make a big effort to present the fact as coherently as possible. So that's the position the taxpayer has. And what I'm seeing, and, and I'm very concerned about this, is that the new administrative principles kind of debase the value of the documentation. So you have to have the documentation. There's no, I mean, no way around this. And my feeling is you don't get much extra credit for providing this because the auditor is just essentially free to pose a lot of questions without kind of uh, being forced to contextualize this with your documentation. So in my view, I mean, this is a very, uh, how should I say it might, for, for people not, not engaging in audits on a regular basis, that, that might seem to be, in, let's say, an esoteric point, like, is that really as dramatic as I make it sound? But, I mean, for those really experiencing a lot of audit situations, everybody intuitively kind of grasps that you don't want to give away such wide discretionary power to the auditor. There are some auditors, and, and, and we, we should be careful not to generalize here, right? Yeah. So, so some will be very cautious and only make requests that are really relevant for the case and only, let's say, ask for specifically more information in case there's a substantial doubt that the facts are really correctly established. But there are others <laughs> that kind of use this leeway to exert quite an amount of pressure on the taxpayer, to put him in a defensive position, if you will. And, and I think this is exactly the worrisome aspect of what is happening with these administrative principles in, in 2020. Yeah, and it, 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 of course, you know, if, if you as a taxpayer have no indication, have no idea why information is requested and you know, what the purpose is of why they're requesting information, it, it becomes almost like, you know, it's like a fishing expedition by authorities that they just gather as much information as they want and on that basis they selectively can you know construe whatever they want to 
the route they want to follow and, and, and just trying to get as much information on that as they as they wish to see. Yeah, and, and that, that that is what I'm that is exactly the point I, I'm trying to make. And then you don't really see it or the let's say it doesn't jump off the page. So when you're just looking at the wording of the administrative principle, it's not spectacular, but the very, uh, let's say, uh, topic we are talking about now, it's one word. Before it is uh, the transfer pricing documenting is the basis for the audit. And now yeah. they integrated the word merrily. Like it's a starting point. <laughs> it's just the basis. It's not, you know, that, that's the sort of debasement I'm, I'm, I'm meaning. So so, so, I mean, if you update the administrative principles, I mean, why bother integrating one word if you do not intend to make use of it, right? So, so that, that's kind of what, what is bugging me here, right? So, I mean, of course, that's a conscious decision to integrate exactly this word at this point uh, in the... Updated <laughs> principles. <laughs> is it, did I understand you correctly that on let's say the, the the shift on the burden of proof is that now a default or is that something the authorities like to do uh, because that of course you know has also from a legal perspective can have a major impact on on any taxpayer is that if you rather than the tax authorities needing to argue that what you have done is not appropriate not compliant that it you know is turned the up you know the other way around and that you need to start know proving that what you've done is correct that, that's obviously a different uh, approach which can be quite burdensome to to taxpayers yeah and i i think it's not let's say all out explicit that this burden of proof is shifting but it's you can see it in various paragraphs where it kind of takes the way that the, the authorities have written a default assumption mm -hmm. like when you use interquartile ranges or you have to apply the median unless you as a taxpayer can prove something other is more appropriate, but you have to prove it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those are the details then where, where the, I think the burden of proof is clearly shifted, that you have to make it not only believable, but, but you really have to substantiate this quite a bit. And again, it's a matter of what is written in the, in the principles and what happens on a daily basis, right? Yeah. So an auditor will be sure if it's put the pressure on you and just you know say, okay, you didn't prove it or it's not plausible. And, and thus, I will just resort to the default provision that is stated in the law. So it, it will be very difficult for you to, I think, in practice, uh, meet the burden of proof. It was difficult before, so don't get me wrong. Sometimes it was controversial in the past, but I think in, in some, it will certainly become uh, more difficult rather than easier. Yeah, I mean, so, so what, what you, you know, see is that also in Germany, you know, like in many countries, like you know, information requirements, they have you know have expanded, putting a lot of additional workload and burden on on taxpayers. But also the deadlines, you know, have contracted. So what are the the timeframes in Germany that taxpayers need to to be aware of? You know, in terms of requested information and and you know specific deadlines. Well, I'm not like like when we're talking deadlines. So so I was very critical with what I said earlier. <laughs> So when we're talking deadlines, I, I don't think Germany is, the, is a particularly difficult country. So you have essentially 60 days to prepare your local file or transfer pricing documentation. And in case there are extraordinary circumstances, it's cut down to 30 days to provide it. But for example, we don't have annual filing requirements for local files. So it's just on request. There are also no, let's say, discussions about like, for example, uh, what's happening in Denmark, that has implemented this uh, now that companies as of next year need to you know annually you 
file their their local transfer pricing documentation? Is that a, a discussion or a topic that that's that's also going on in Germany, or is it currently the current format of okay, you get 60 days to respond? That's that's currently be the case. I, I, yeah, that that's the case. I didn't, or at least if those discussions are happening, I'm I'm not hearing them. But as far as I know, it's not very high on the agenda uh, of, of the authorities to kind of cut back on the on, on the filing periods. Absolutely. Which I, I really think it is, it is a positive in Germany. So other countries I know are much more strict than that. And I mean, if you if you're talking realities and how how it shakes out, I mean, most of the German auditors, uh, if a request is made and you you kind of have a reason reason to to kind of ask for. A, yeah, prolongment of the of the period. Um, you have, a, let's say, a decent chance that is granted. You can actually talk to these people and, and say, look, uh, the situation is such and such, and maybe we need a, yeah. a certain time uh, time extension here. Um, uh, as long as you are honest, proactive about this, I think Germany is, uh, in that regard, yeah. not the not the worst country to operate in. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. Germany's activity in the last two years really demonstrates it, its strong emphasis on transfer pricing compliance. And you know, while Germany is obviously a member of the OECD, its requirements actually are you know, more than that above and the standard call of duty. You know, as you can see, in Germany's activity in the last two years really demonstrates it, its strong emphasis on transfer pricing compliance. And you know, while Germany is obviously a member of the OECD, its requirements actually are you know more than that above and the standard call of duty you know as you can see as evidenced by the, the implementation of the EU anti-tax avoidance directive and and in particular I would say the the updated uh, administrative principles uh, that were implemented in December 2020 so these initiatives will allow tax officials to to pick more, to be even more critical on, on the transfer pricing documentation of multinationals, uh, on the method selection, on the evidence, you know, we talked about the burden of proof, and of course also on any internal documents that they believe they, they should be seeing in order to uh, form their own opinions. Absolutely, yes. I think that's a fair summary. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, so these, these administrative principles, they, they, they obligate taxpayers to provide, you know, sufficient or enough additional information to evaluate which transfer pricing method is the most appropriate, but it comes with its own set of restrictions. I mean, what do taxpayers need to know about 
method selection in particular in Germany and you know how how it can be you know sufficiently substantiated usually i i i never thought method selection was very intriguing in in germany but again we have a new situation now in in so far that the, the authorities now implemented something that you would deem a best method rule so you can still as a taxpayer choose the method from the basic oecd methods which fit your transaction and then there's no strict hierarchy anymore before that we had a sort of the cup method was first method of choice and then preferred method and, and a lot of let's say the older taxpayers still kind of showed an affinity in germany towards the cup method so what you basically did was if you do not choose the cup method you may want to integrate a statement on your documentation why you do not uh, apply the cup method or why you find it's not not feasible due to lack of comparable but maybe you go through the motions of at least um explaining why you didn't apply the cup and then you apply the method that you you want to apply or that you deem suitable and now um with the changes and and this goes to the ftc not to the administrative principles we have this provision that yeah matches those best method rule provisions that you know from other jurisdictions as well so you would need to justify not only why the cup is not uh, applicable but maybe extend this to other methods that you don't feel uh, applicable plus the law has a statement which is a bit odd that the german uh, tax authorities will uh, identify the correct uh, method or this is ed now i'm jumping back to the to the administrative principle so so they say that the, authorities will, will will deem what is correct, which is a bit odd uh, <laughs> to say, okay, they will deem what is correct. I mean, they, they could always apply an alternative method, but it's not necessarily the correct one. So um, that seems to be also signaling conflict on method selection, which in Germany, at least in my experience, wasn't the, the prime area for conflict. <laughs> yeah. But that seems to make it a little bit harder. And the aspect that should be kept in mind here is that Germany has keen interest and, and has a, let's say, a sixth method available in its transfer pricing regulation, which is called the hypothetical arm's length test. So essentially simulating a negotiation and between independent parties and, and again, basing those negotiations on internal business data. And for me, it kind of ties into this that well, if, if you're not making a strong case for a specific method, then uh, based on these rules, an auditor might come in, and they do, <laughs> to challenge you, well, I want to apply this hypothetical arm's length test, and, and, and please provide me with your internal data on cost accounting, on pricing, and I, I just want to see how it matches, right? And if he finds a, a mismatch or he finds something that, that he deems advantageous, he will follow up with an additional question. And this is the course that such an yeah. audit then can take, right? So while, while you may have applied, let's say, the resale price minus method, um, the auditor might have requested some cost information and decides, well, maybe I can kind of change the tables around a bit and maybe the cost plus method looks better or I can find some sort of a cup, maybe not a perfect one, but still I, I find some information that that I can use in this context of this hypothetical. Uh, yeah, and do you, do you, I mean, oh, you know, of, of course, a lot of companies uh, use the, the transactional net margin method, test the arm's length nature of their intercompany uh, transactions, especially, you know, for you know, distribution uh, activities or what is it, contract manufacturing or services. I mean, is that still, I mean, is that still somewhat in Germany that the authorities, they do accept it, but not necessarily like it or has that changed now as well a little bit no I, I think the statement is completely right they will accept it and i think the new 
administrative principle based on the method, that is fine. You can apply TNMM. Before it was even from the wording, it's sort of a method of last resort. I, I think that should be easier now, but in practice, it, it actually was never that big of a problem in Germany if you want to apply the TMMM. But it remains true that they do not like it. And the way you can see it in the administrative principles, and this is the part they didn't update, so it's still the 2005 version that is applicable. And the mechanism in Germany here is that the application of the TNMM is explicitly restricted to so-called routine entities. Right. So while in the international framework, you always have a tested party, the concept of the tested party is a bit more, let's say, elastic, if you will. So um, you, yeah. you might have though very, uh, on, on the one hand, the tested parties that have very few functions and risk, very bare bones sort of companies. But still, depending on the transaction, some of the tested party can have a more pronounced functional and risk profile without necessarily being like like co-entrepreneurs or something like this or fully fledged entities, but but still they, they have a more pronounced functional risk profile. And in Germany, it was always a bit tricky because we have between the routine entity and the entrepreneur, we have this middle category, so so-called hybrid entity. And as soon as you are in this hybrid category, you cannot apply TNMM, right? Yeah. So it's outlawed. They they explicitly say you cannot apply TNMM. Of course, that is an important thing to understand when you're operating in Germany because your tested party better be a routine entity. And it better be as clear-cut a routine entity as you can possibly make it. And now, since we're talking about this economic substance and, and people or people, tax auditors, uh, really putting your uh, functional risk analysis, uh, let's say, on the hot seat <laughs> and, and asking all those additional questions. <laughs> um, from this, it kind of follows if you are applying TNMM, um, you, you better make sure that your functional risk analysis is watertight. And, and all those, let's say, additional information we're talking to better fit the narrative. So yeah. that, that, is, that is something in Germany you, you want to be mindful of. Yeah. And I guess then that also means that you, know, you need to have or you need to ensure consistency in your documentation that if and when the German you know, auditors were to you know, have access to documentation of, of other, you know, in, in other countries, that it is indeed watertight and, and totally consistent so that there are no gaps in there or, or no in, you know, inconsistencies that, that could feed into their argument that, hey, this is not a routine activity you might only have described it here for german purposes but in reality also basis on whatever information they're trying to to get their hands on they they actually conclude differently i would definitely agree to that and in terms of consistency and i would add also the issue of ambiguity so you should be very much focused on on being clear in the functional risk not, not just consistent but very clear in making statements such as routine, because yeah. when you looked at the past um, and, and, and you look more at the international documentation framework, and especially for documentation for taxpayers that may be operating on a documentation framework that is sort of a pre-BEPS framework. So when you look at the transaction, you see those very simplistic kind of functional and risk charts with those little X's, just one X per column of, of companies, which do not really convey a very uh, let's say differentiated picture of the of the value chain <laughs> and i mean those are ambiguous right because you cannot clearly see who is who is actually a routine entity here you see uh, sort of a sum of x's here it doesn't t tell me much and operating on this way in germany is really 
treacherous. So, so you should be really, if, if, if you want to be on the safe side, you want to invest in having a good function and risk analysis. Yeah, and it's interesting is that, that, and you're absolutely right on that, and also in my own experience is that, you know, you also need to have, be very clear within the company that, you know, the overall um, messaging is, especially also on social media, is actually consistent with that routine function that you are portraying in your function risk analysis. So if you have a, a company that is being, you know, labeled as, let's say, providing sales support functions, yeah. but then it has a, a manager employee that on its LinkedIn profile is saying, director of sales for, let's say, Germany, responsible for this, that, and that, and that, then, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen tax authorities, uh, you know, using that as an argument as well yeah. to undermine your own functional risk analysis. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they, they do know how to utilize LinkedIn. I mean, as a consultant, I utilize it myself in order to get an idea of what, what are the subsidiaries are doing, how, how do the people describe themselves there. And, and yes, tax authorities will definitely look at the LinkedIn uh, profiles as well. I mean, it's always let's say it's not conclusive evidence, but in companies, I mean, tend to shy away from making stipulations on this, but it's something to be aware of because it's an uphill battle. If, if you have an order and he says, okay, I saw a certain number of people presenting themselves uh, so-and-so, um, again, it's a burden of proof type of item then because then you would you have You need to then to, <laughs> again, demonstrate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think important takeaway discussion we just had now is that especially in, for, for Germany, when you do your documentation and, and yes, you have to go through the motion of, okay, you know, what's the most appropriate method, you know, that also gives you the most reliable outcomes and that you know, generally should be accepted. But you have to be prepared that you also need to be able to explain why other methods you know, are not appropriate or, or that the authorities might even, you know, try and argue another method actually is more appropriate and you then need to to really go into the defense arguing against that. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that is certainly something that you should be aware of. You can also prepare yourself by, as I said, while previously you might have just make a sanity check on do I find a cup or not. It, it might, depending on your case, pay dividends to yeah, be a little bit more conscientious when it comes to just laying down your rationale on why certain methods are are deemed really uh, inconclusive or inappropriate. So it, yeah. it, it sort of forces you to spend some energy and uh, uh, devote some resources to, to stuff you really do not think is necessary to get your own case across, but maybe as a sort of, uh, you know, firewall again, a creative yeah. auditor. So and what, what are currently the most you know, scrutinized areas of transpricing in Germany? So what are the, the favorite topics of tax auditors that they typically like to start arguing that didn't change too much in the last year so we are we're seeing a lot of scrutiny on business restructurings i mean that that germany was always very keen on those which we deem a function so-called functionsverlagerung if anything the the changes in the law we are we're, we're discussing about they have led to an even stricter uh, regulatory framework on those business restructuring which in my view clearly shows that that has been an, a hot item if you will on the on, on the tax audit side for uh, for the last couple of years um, because they actually um, extended the scope where where you are supposed to calculate or demonstrate the value of a so-called transfer package, which is essentially the, the intangibles bundled with the functions and the profit potential. And they have extended this to just 
you know, it doesn't have to be profit potential anymore. It's just enough if it's intangible. Plus, uh, in the previous draft law, there were certain escape clauses uh, included yeah. in the in the law, so that if you could provide information or, let's say, expert testimony or evaluations of individual intangibles, then you can use those values without having to calculate them or engage in the more complex calculations of calculating such a transfer package, which is a very tedious exercise, sort of a discounted cash flow system. But the German authorities, again, had very distinct provisions on how to cope with this. And they got rid of those ex escape clauses, which I think is uh, signaling a more rigorous stance. So they want to catch more potential cases. It's a bit balanced by, by the fact that they seem to allow more valuation techniques. So they, they give you a little more leeway in how to approach those valuations. But still, it, it is certainly an issue that is uh, very high on tax auditors' uh, agenda or checklist, if you will. And it, again, it, ties, it comes back to actually economic substance can play a big role in this because, I mean, if you are making the case that you outsource production, functions and, and then the questions kind of start automatically so wh where does the know-how come from right where is the machinery who's who schooled the technicians and all those kinds of questions and you might have an explanation in your documentation which is in normal times you would say okay this gives a conclusive picture i have a conclusive argument why no such a transfer has occurred but based on the new uh, principles it's quite reasonable and i have experienced this that they ask no i i want to know more about the people give me access to their what is the education of the people what is what is this what are, again and then we're back at the emails what is the correspondence of these people <laughs> and so on and so what's what's the authority they have and what's the authority they actually you know you know perform and in order to understand you know what the role is of the german entity in this case of course in the overall value chain of the of the company i think you know probably in you know other usual suspects like you know taxation of intangibles will continue to be on the on the radar screen financial transactions in germany i mean as i discussed before the financial transactions were actually excluded from the law <laughs> i mean for for practical purposes it, it kind of still shows you what the auditors would like to look at right so Financial transactions in Germany also remain a hot issue. The, the administrations would have liked to include it, but, but it was excluded, I think, more, more or less to political reasons. But yeah. still, financial uh, transactions will be audited, then probably more based on an OECD-conform idea. Or if you look at the OECD guidelines there, the auditors will likely be taking those into considerations, but, but obviously in a context that benefits the authorities. And... For Germany, you have to realize that though, I think the OECD, if you read respective chapter in the guidelines, takes a, let's say, sensible or balanced approach. And you could argue about this, I, I guess, for days, but they are not condemning like internal ratings provisions, like, like this up notching and down notching a lot of clients apply. I mean, the OECD is essentially fine with it. They say, okay, look, there are some things you have to keep in mind and you have to walk in a, work in a very diligent kind of manner to substantiate the arm's length nature based on those down-notching or up-notching systems. Um, but the mindset of the German auditor will be a very hostile one to this. So again, they, if, if you have such a system relying on standalone ratings of subsidiaries um, determined by internal rating systems and, and, and those rating, if you apply this um, 
Uh, this sort of, I would still say best practice, a sort of approach, a German auditor is very likely to challenge you that no, especially if it's an inbound transaction, obviously, he would like to see the cost of funds displayed and, and, and why didn't we apply cost of funds and shouldn't the implicit support ensure that we take the head company, like the headquarter, the global rating, uh, instead of having a standalone rating for a German subsidiary, having to pay let's say eight or nine percent of uh, interest to to some company located in, in the netherlands or ireland for what i mean that's quite common as you know in the real estate industry and, and those other loans they are going after on this topic i think that you know the bottom line is that that you know the german authorities obviously you know are very critical looking at you know that the transfer pricing policy of a company and and the pricing is really aligned with with the business in that sense you know, looking at that, that they are a translation of, of how, how the business is conducted and the profits are allocated, you know, compliant with that or in accordance with that, uh, to say it like so. You know, and I think overall on, on this topic, you know, from a method selection, substantiation, taxpayer imposed burden of proof, I think Germany is demonstrating that it wants the taxpayers to demonstrate not just the how of their transfer pricing, but also the why. Yeah. And need to be prepared on answering questions, being prepared, providing a lot of information. And multinationals can expect a closer look if they are engaging in, you know, typical reallocation of functions, uh, conducting intercompany transactions in low-tax jurisdictions. You already you know, mentioned Ireland uh, you know, as well. I guess also reporting losses. Yes, reporting losses for sure, for sure. Loss is always an issue. A major increase in the, you know, the compliance burdens. At least taxpayers have a bit more maybe clear-cut view on what is expected of them with the, also these, these new guidelines uh, and regulations. I, I if, if you just I, want to I call would, it, give it a little bit of a positive. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I want to... I mean, I, I realize I'm, I'm coming across as being pretty critical by now, but, but I mean, I wouldn't say more than a maybe or a little bit to this because if you compare it to let's say austria like austria is let's say a similar country in transfer pricing perspective they had the same objective the, the time frame is similar but if you lay side by side the administrative principles of austria and of germany i dare say the austrians do a much better job <laughs> in, in providing such prescriptive guidance because i think they have twice the scope compared to the german administrative principles but it's one document and it has very extensive cross references to oecd guidelines plus it gives a host of examples of how to cope with individual issues such as dempit germany just says okay we kind of want them to apply and it's in the in the, in the ftc it's, it's in, the, in the law but again administrative principle you don't even find them there so it's not even existing there so in terms of being prescriptive at least when i take the austrians as a benchmark and it's kind of painful as the germans do right but yeah. i mean to be fair I, I i don't think i could say that the administrative principles in germany are very prescriptive so maybe it's then better to say that that they are you know I don't know, probably deliberately being vague, so to give them more flexibility and more, yeah, you know, uh, tools to to question taxpayers' transfer pricing if and when they want to. Yes, I I would feel more comfortable or or uncomfortable with the statement, but it's certainly a statement that that is not uh, too far fetched. You know? Yeah, and of course, you know, we we can't have a a conversation nowadays uh, without uh, well, quickly touching on COVID. How has COVID intensified 
German scrutiny of, on, on multinationals when it comes to transfer pricing? I mean, and are there any particular areas that they are already, well, you see a change or is it still very much that the German government is in a support mode for the, the businesses and, and in, in years to come, there will be more scrutiny on tax audits. I mean, what's your view on that? Um, I, I don't see the support mode with the audits I'm facing right now. <laughs> Not from the auditors, but more from, you know, in general, the, the, the German government. I mean, they're, they're certainly supportive of, of business, but it, in, in terms of transfer pricing, I think Germany didn't adopt a unique stance on COVID. Let's put it this way. So, so when, you, when you're talking about transfer prices and how they are related, related to COVID, I think if, if you are, I mean, the OECD issued guidance on this. Uh, certainly, this guidance also contains the recommendations on that you have to prove a causality, like are the losses that you incurred really attributable to COVID, and you have to provide again documentation on this. But if if you would follow such an OECD compliant approach in Germany, I think yeah, you you would be fine. I, I wouldn't wouldn't say you have to take into consideration some, let's say, uniquely German provision. But does the general uh, you know, concept or, or idea that, you know, with governments having, you know, supported local businesses uh, substantially over the last, what is it, 18 months or 15 months, I think, that obviously has created, you know, a huge gap in the country's budget that somehow that needs to, the budget needs to be, you know, brought back to the country so that you are expecting an increased tax audit activity in Germany in, in, in the years to come? or Yes, I'm, I'm expecting this, but I'm not necessarily expecting this just because of COVID. That, that, that would have become reality either way. So they have shown a willingness to, let's say, take an aggressive stance on, on, on transfer pricing. I, I, I do see this in audits, and I'm not sure if that's a process that it has, let's say, accelerated or decelerated because of COVID. So I, I wouldn't be able to make a judgment on this. So I think Germany is taking a clear path in the last years. If COVID would have slowed this down, it's, it's certainly only a bump in the road for them and nothing permanent. So uh, we, we can be sure that they will uh, see this as, as a source of additional revenue that they would really like to tap into heavily. And I mean, obviously, we also have elections, right? So that, that might actually have a more, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 might might also have an impact. Yeah, that's that's certainly always the case. So you know we're we're getting almost to the to the end of the uh, at the top of the hour here. And I mean, what's your overall your your takeaway advice for multinationals that have operations in Germany? What do they need to keep in mind to you know to ensure you know, compliance from a from a transfer pricing perspective? The recommendations are really not novel or new. I think you could just give them with, with renewed emphasis and, and really uh, say, okay, look, uh, you have to cover the basics. You have to have a consistent and unambiguous presentation of the facts, especially when it comes to functional and risk analysis. I, I would still think that's the most important uh, issue to, to take into consideration. And, and of course, that reflects the economic substance. So taking a more illustrative approach here, if, if you're still having a documentation that is uh, based on pre-BEPs, simple star charts, just using one star per uh, company and function, then the advice is get rid of this, conduct an analysis that is actually providing some definitive or, let's say, clear answers on where's actually the value created and in which company is responsible for the respective functions. And 
and, and then tr try to translate this into the classification of the company as clearly and as precise as you possibly can. So I think this is the first advice. And then the extra credit advice would be try to substantiate this or to have something ready to, to corroborate these uh, decisions that you make, right? In the knowledge that a tax auditor might be in the position to actually question your decision on, on, on assigning a certain value to the function so by, by just asking, okay, what does the marketing department in, I don't know, in the UK really do? So show me the, show me the, the details here and, and you should keep this in mind so that you actually have to kind of substantiate your analytical decisions a bit more uh, by, by hard data and by, let's say, secondary information. I think that that's the extra credit advice, which, uh, yeah, is, is now more relevant than before. So the basic advice is oldie but goldie, but the, but the extra credit advice, I guess, that is really now facilitated by the changes that we have been discussing today. Yeah, so I think just overall, I think it's then, you know, German tax authorities are, you know, pretty strict nowadays when it comes to uh, transfer rights compliance. You know, it has increased, you know, legislative measures uh, that, that we talked about, uh, you know, probably also combined with additional workforce being allocated to tax audits that, that you know, really demonstrate the layers of scrutiny that can exist in, in one particular jurisdiction, in this case, Germany. And then real, you know, takeaway for, for multinationals is just, you know, have your documentation in order, you know, make sure you comply with the local rules uh, and, you know, legislation in this case for Germany and, and be prepared for, you know, a tax authority that will really take a deep dive into your documentation and have all the supporting documentation available as well. Yeah, I think that's the, and, and that, that's 100% correct. And, and if you want to give like one more advice for, for, the, for, for the day to day is that, okay, we, have, we are talking about consistency and not being ambiguous. It does not have to translate into compiling a more extensive documentation per se. So if, you, if your documentation had 40 pages uh, in the past, there's no need now to, to create 80 or so. It's just, you have to be a little bit more careful on what you write, so the content really matters. And then again, it, it, it really would pay dividends if you just open up a file and, and, and be mindful of what do you yourself consider like taking the best possible decisions or neutral decision that you can make. What is a relevant document for for substantiating what I'm just writing here in the function risk analysis or in the in the pricing chapter, and just file it away for potential use? Just being aware that okay, this is relevant information. So if the auditor asks, I'm not kind of caught on the wrong foot. So yes, I I can everything I write here I can substantiate. Please use the folder. Knock yourself out. So just to kind of give the auditor the impression, you know, we are prepared. Don't bother uh, or don't waste your time you know to take the deep dive here <laughs> maybe go to the next one who isn't prepared <laughs> yes so you know in, in essence you know be prepared you know, and, and ensure the quality of your documentation that's really the importance and, yeah. and and maybe not necessarily the quantitative part of it so it's not about the volume of your uh, documentation but about the quality of it Shortly after recording this episode, we received breaking news. Germany's Ministry of Finance released administrative principles transfer pricing on July 14th, 2021. Based on the OECD's transfer pricing guidelines, 2017, the principles are Germany's effort to align its arm's length principle with the rest of the post-BEPS world. The new 
Administrative principles specifically state that the German tax authorities generally follow the OECD transfer pricing guidelines and makes direct reference to several chapters of the guidelines, such as Chapter 6 regarding intangibles and the use of DEMPA, Chapter 7 regarding intra-group services, and Chapter 10 regarding financial transactions. However, the administrative principles do diverge from the OECD transfer pricing guidelines in various areas as well, including the emphasis placed on the hypothetical arm's length test as seen in valuation techniques. The principles also mandate that an affiliate be compensated for services provided even if losses are reported, but must be profitable within a five-year window and make enough to offset prior losses to continue. So what do these new administrative principles mean for German taxpayers? It's imperative that they review the new rules as changes could severely impact existing policies and documentation. We'll continue to keep you updated on changes to Germany's transfer pricing regulations, as well as other countries right here on the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp welcome back everyone now comes my favorite part of the program a segment we like to call what we want to know it's a rapid fire round of more personal questions sometimes it delves into transfer pricing but it's all just to get to know our guest a little bit better and our guest today of course is oliver tridler oliver always Question one, are you ready? Yes, <laughs> fire away. <laughs> Excellent. So what's one food you could eat a million of? What's one food you could only eat one of? I guess these are like pieces or like if you could have it over and over again or what's what's one food you only need one and you're all set? Okay, yeah. Uh, chocolate in any variety and in any volume. So just, uh, yeah, give me chocolate. I'm happy. <laughs> and... Yes. Uh, yeah, if you, if you don't want me to to like pick out on your dinner table, just put a cucumber in the middle, and I'll uh, I'll be staying away. <laughs> uh, I need to acquaint myself with German chocolate. I've heard good things. That reputation definitely precedes it. Uh, <laughs> what's a part of Germany that everyone should visit? Hamburg. <laughs> Hamburg. Yes, I've heard good things. My my uh, my brother spent his honeymoon in Germany for Oktoberfest and told me great things about Hamburg. Didn't try the chocolate though, so I, I, I need to, that's why I need the update. What is your proudest career accomplishment? I mean, 
still being around after opting to open my own firm in, in, in 17, I guess, is one. Having some nice employees by now is, is certainly the, the, the other one. Yeah, having fun with transfer pricing and uh, maybe contributing yeah. to formats like this one today is, is rewarding for sure. I must say, I think our listeners will feel particularly rewarded, especially if it helps in their German transfer pricing documentation. Uh, how would your colleagues describe you? How would you describe yourself? <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. I, I don't know. I'm my colleagues. I'm passionate about the arms length principle and transfer pricing. I hope that shows. I hope this rubs off on my colleagues and, and sometimes even clients. I would also hope that they uh, describe me as being a very pragmatic and outcome-focused advisor, yeah. We want to thank Oliver again for joining us for this informative discussion. If you like this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in our tax suite. That's the Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit and the Fiona Show Tax Provision. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. That's the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing, and we'll keep you up to date on the latest in transfer pricing. I'm your host, Matthew DeMello. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch everyone next week. Yeah.